Hey friends, glad you're uh, joining us today. I want to invite you to open your Bibles if you brought one with you. Got one with you there at the house to uh, John chapter 21. And we're continuing in a um, series called Living Hope that we started on Easter, talking about how we can have real lasting hope um, through disappointment, through discouragement. Last week we talked through doubting. And um, unique, one of my favorite stories we're going to talk about today. So a uh, message I've entitled Breakfast with Jesus. So you've heard of the Last Supper. This is the Last Breakfast. And it's so interesting. I love this passage, all of its historical details, uh, the theme that you're going to hear in just a minute of restoration and renewal. I love um, that one of the center, uh, the focuses of this passage is uh, food over a campfire. Um, I just love that kind of picture. There's no better food than camp food. Uh, the smell, the presentation, the taste, the atmosphere, you're kind of getting a little bit of all of it and all the things that go with it. I love how relatable Peter is in this passage to me, certainly, um, I'm sure to you as well. So let's jump in in John 21, um, John tw 21 and chapter 21, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered to him, no. He said to them, then cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came to the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw the charcoal fire in place. And the fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of the large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and let's have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared even ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Pray with me. God, I pray that uh, your word would come alive to us. It would pierce through the religious fog. It would overcome any objections that we've brought with us today, any baggage. Lord, help us to our minds to um, be eased and uh, really focus on the power of your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So I love this passage. Uh, as I said just a moment ago, uh, I want you to notice really a few things. One, um, this, is, this is Peter, and Peter has made a mess of things for sure. Um, and he's the one that was always, always putting his foot in his mouth. He was the one on the Mount of Transfiguration that didn't get the point, was like, let's throw some tents and camp here. Um, he was the one in which Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan, when he tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross to his death. 
again and again, um, Peter has uh, made a bit of a, a fool of himself. But still, he's the one upon whom Jesus said, hey, this is the rock in whom I'm going to build the church. He was the leader. We see him um, preach that incredible message in Acts, uh, the day of Pentecost, where he stood up and thousands of people gave their life to Christ that day. So this is Peter, and he's in a boat and he's fishing. You kind of get the point. At some point, Peter and his disciples, after Jesus had appeared to them, um, and then appeared again with Thomas in the room we talked about last week. This is the third time, and this is at least a week and a half after the resurrection. And yet Jesus is appearing again. And there's a lot of similarities in this story that happened before uh, when the disciples were fishing. But one thing that I want you to notice quickly, and we won't be able to get into all of them, but one thing is that Peter is, is, like, is like a man's man. One, right, he sees it's the Lord, you know, he grabs his coat and then swims a hundred yards, right, in the sea, the Sea of Galilee, to go meet Jesus. Now, I know, I don't know if you've ever been out a hundred yards into the sea. Um, even without waves, that's a long way to swim, especially, you know, carrying this heavy coat. And then we see him pull in 153 fish by himself. Earlier in verse 8, it said that all the disciples pulled in the fish. In verse 11, it tells us that Peter, Jesus said, hey, bring some of the fish you just caught. Peter goes and gets it by himself, 153 fish, and it says that it's large fish. I did a little study this week that the average fish caught in the Sea of Galilee weighs about a pound. And this text says that they were large fish, so let's just estimate two pounds. So this is over 300 pounds that Peter, man's man Peter, just kind of throws over his shoulder and goes and grabs. Peter really is a brute, and you get to kind of see this um, certainly in the story. Two, Peter is the focus really of this text. All the disciples are included, but Jesus is going to have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with Peter. The last time we saw Peter, at least the last time he was the focus of the text, he's denying Jesus, he's running from Jesus, and yet you see this this complete change in his life. Now he's swimming as fast as he can. Hey, I'm not waiting for us to row the boat back into Jesus. He's jumping into the water. And I think you see this picture of Peter just dropping his pride. Ultimately, this is really a story about restoration. And Jesus is going to walk Peter through this restoration process. Again, just over... Uh, a little over a week before this, just right after the Last Supper, Peter is the one that leans over to Jesus. Jesus actually leans over and tells the disciples, you know, you, know, you guys uh, are going to scatter. You're going to betray me. Things are going to get difficult, and you're going to be the ones that are going to scatter. You're going to disappear when I need you the most. But Peter wouldn't accept that. I'm going to walk you through kind of some of these events that happened in Peter's life, and then we'll find the culmination of this. Uh, here in, in this text. Back in uh, Matthew 26, read this short little passage to you, Matthew 26. After the Last Supper, it said in verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus told them this thing about the scattering. He said, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And this is where Peter speaks up again, always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter replied, 
and he throws everybody else under the bus. In verse 33, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. See, Peter in his boasting says, Jesus, I know you might prophesy again that we're all going to scatter. And that might be true of every one of them. And you can just see him looking at John and uh, Thaddeus and Bartholomew. He's just looking at me like, yeah, you know, these bunch of losers. Yeah, they probably will. But not me, Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm your ride or die. I am all in uh, no matter what happens. And then Jesus, truly, I tell you in verse 34, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter again declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. You can see them kind of backing Peter up. Yeah, what he said, man. Yeah, we're going to die with you no matter what. Now, most of us can understand and we can extend grace for someone who messes up who makes a mistake, even our own selves, right? And maybe even twice, but three times Peter just firmly declares that he's going to be with Jesus to the end. But then just the next passage in Mark 14 tells us how Peter actually denied Jesus three times. Mark 14 and verse 66 you don't have to flip over there unless you want to. We see Peter actually disowning Jesus. The picture is Jesus has been arrested and he's warming himself by a fire. It says in verse 66, when Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by and she saw Peter warming himself and she looked closely at him. And she says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it again. He says, I don't, I don't know him or I don't understand what you're talking about. And then he moved and went out of the entryway. Verse 69, when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those surrounding him, this fellow, he's one of them. And again, he denied it. A little while after that, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you're a Galilean. This next part breaks my heart a little bit. Verse 71, Peter began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken to them before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. So you see Peter in these two different scenarios the one jesus saying you know what when i um, am arrested and go to the cross you're all going to scatter you're all going to you're all going to betray me in a sense peter saying not me lord the others might do it but certainly not me even if i have to die with you i'm going to be with you and yet we see i mean the first time i don't know what you're talking about the second time uh, he's denying it the third time. It says he's actually calling down curses. Now, scholars disagree a little bit about what they're doing. If he's calling down curses on himself, saying this, you know, on my, on my own grave, on my mom's grave, like, you know, I, I swear I don't know the man. But a lot of scholars think he's actually cursing Jesus at the minute, which in a shonor, uh, an honor and shame culture would have been, you would have believed him. Like, this is, uh, man, he's telling the truth. He just... 
He just cursed this other person. You know, it's interesting. So we think about that, and I relate so much with Peter. What we believe about ourselves and what's actually true about ourselves are often two very different things. A lot of us overestimate what we think and our own strengths, and we underestimate our need for grace. Yet those who are walking and just heaping guilts, heaping piles of guilt and shame, they, they underestimate their own worth. But I think it's true that most of us overestimate what we think about ourselves. We underestimate our need for grace. I read a statistic this week that over 80% of Americans think they're better looking than average. Better looking. That's a statistical impossibility for 80% of them to think that they're better than average. 93% of people think that they're uh, better than average drivers. I firmly disagree with this. Here's the point. that The heart is deceitful. And we've said this so many times. This is why you can't trust your own feelings. Because if you just feel like being a good dad, or you just feel like being a good husband, you just feel like going to work today, how many of, that, of those things would be true for us day in and day out? Certainly not me. I can't trust my own feelings to get me through the day. I have to go to something deeper, some conviction that helps me, that helps lead my life. Certainly, if this pandemic, a shelter in place, has taught us anything, it's that most of us, right, um, might think we're better parents than we actually are. There are some days I get up um, when this first happened, and I was talking about learning French, and uh, we, I signed uh, uh, Ellie and I up for this Fender guitar course. We're going to learn these things together, and we had all these things we're going to do with my kids, and it was going to be this great bonding moment. And then last night at like 7.30, I was like, y'all just go to bed. Like, I don't want to see my kids again. That's why we can't trust our feelings. Peter says, I will die for you, Jesus. The next scene, I swear I don't know him. I think there's two, really, two questions that really come from this text. What do you do when you've done something you swore you would never do? Oh, I would never do that. What do you do when you've done something you swore you'd never do? And what's your response when you're confronted on it? Let's go on in the text. John 21, I told you we might be reading a lot of text today. I hope you're following along um, in your word and making notes. If not, some of these passages are on the screen for you. In John 21 and verse 15, and they finished breakfast. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him again, then tend my sheep. Verse 17, Jesus says to Peter for the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And He responded, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep.
Do you see a bit of the sting? They've encountered the Lord. They're having breakfast with Jesus, this like incredible moment of restoration and the risen Savior. And I'm sure they've got tons of questions. It doesn't tell us everything that they talked about over breakfast. I'm sure there was some pretty incredible things. After breakfast, Jesus starts talking with Peter specifically, asking him, if you love me, And that first question is the one that stings the most, I think. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Pointing to the other disciple, do you love me more than these? Remember back to the time where Peter said in the presence of the disciples after they had sung the hymn, Jesus, these might deny you. Pointing to the disciples, these guys, yeah, they might, but never me. I would die with you if I had to. And now Peter's saying, Simon, do you really love me more than these? And the point here is that Jesus is making Peter think about what he's done. He's inviting Peter back into that moment. There's only two times in the passage in the New Testament that is mentioned this idea of a charcoal fire. This time, cooking over a charcoal fire, and the last time when Peter is warming himself by a charcoal fire as he begins to deny Jesus. The smells are bringing things kind of back up to him. And Jesus is not, his, his goal is not just to make Peter feel bad. I'm sure the enemy's done enough of that. But he's not letting Peter excuse his wrongdoing either. And here we see This is so incredible. We see this the way that Jesus makes disciples. And you've heard this before if you've been with us at Covenant, this balance of invitation and challenge, this invitation to do life with, to dine with, to have a meal with. Real invitation to do life on life, but also challenge that Jesus is going to speak up and he's going to address some of the difficult things. We see this is the way that Jesus worked often. He did it with the lady um, at the woman, the woman at the well in John chapter four. They have this incredible conversation and they're going back and there's a time coming. And I mean, this this whole thing. And I mean, she's right on the edge of like, you know, giving her life to him, I guess, to giving her life to Jesus. And before Jesus like seals the deal and like, you know, leads her in this prayer of repentance or whatever, as we would imagine it going, Right before then, what does Jesus say? Hey, I want you to go get your husband. And she immediately, if you know the story, says, I don't don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you know, you're right. You've had five husbands. And now you're living with a man who's not your husband. Inviting her up close to her own sin. That's what he's doing with Jesus. There's the invitation part that you're invited in with no condemnation. Jesus is not saying, Peter, I am so done with you, man. You just keep blowing it. No, not at all. He invites him in and has breakfast. And then in a real loving way, and I think a lot of us in, in the Christian world, we miss this, in a real loving way, a heart full of love, he speaks real truth to him. Peter, do you, do you love me more than these? If sin is no big deal, then the love of God is no big deal. 
But sin is a big deal. So many times throughout the passage of Scripture, especially in the book of Luke, the writer, author of Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, will compare these two things. This Pharisee, this religious man who is boasting in his works and didn't think he needed much forgiveness. And this other person, sometimes a Samaritan, most often someone who's forgotten in society. They come in with a heart for real repentance. Pharisees basing their identity and all the good things they've done, but they never noticed how wicked their heart really was. And yet many that they would be compared to the woman in Luke chapter 7. Heartbroken over her own sin finds real forgiveness. If you've been around church, you probably heard this talked about before, but Jesus is using some unique words for love here. The first time he uses the word agape love. Agape is this, uh, is, is the ultimate love. It's not just romantic love or brotherly love like you love your friends, or it's not like a love like you love chocolate chip cookies. No, this is agape. This is unconditional love. Jesus would say to Peter, Peter, do you, do you agape me? unconditional love. Peter responds by saying, Jesus, you know, you know I phileo you. You know I have this brotherly affection for you. Again, he says, do you, do you agape me, Peter? Ultimate, unlimited, unconditional, do you, do you love me like that? And he responds again, I phileo you. Have this brotherly love, not an ultimate love. The last time he asked Peter, he said, Peter, do you phileo me? Jesus is really trying to get at the heart of the matter here, asking Peter, Peter, how deep is your love for me? You might ask, man, Jesus just won't let up. The, the guy's had a hard enough time already. He's denied you. He heard the rooster. He didn't, he didn't think he has what it takes to lead these people. What's the point? Here's the point that Jesus is leading Peter to real godly repentance and not just a worldly sorrow. Not just a man, I'm sorry you got caught and things happened like I predicted, but a real grieving of his heart for his own sin and his own failure and taking that back to the feet of Jesus where he finds ultimate forgiveness. Here's the point that real growth and real transformation often come through adversity. Jesus has something extraordinary in store for Peter on the other side of real godly repentance. We see Peter, again, just a few chapters into Acts, stand up and give this message on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit is moving in these incredible ways and tongues of fire from heaven and, and thousands of people coming to faith. But Peter couldn't, Jesus couldn't use Peter until he first acknowledged the weight of his sin and walked through this process of godly repentance. He's restoring his Peter back to his position of leadership that he had 
that he had said of him, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, can I tell you one of the things that I've learned is broken people make the best leaders. Why? Because there's a sympathy and an empathy and there's this humility and there's this carefulness. There's this absence of pride like I got here by myself and I'm going to do this by myself. You know, it all comes down to that issue of pride. Pride's a cancer, a disease that's destroying you and I from the inside out. Scripture says itself that God opposes the proud. That's where Peter was in the garden when he's saying, I, these others might deny you, but never me. Jesus is helping Peter expose this pride. You remember where Peter was when Jesus first calls him into ministry? He's probably at this same exact location. He's on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is restoring Peter. I love this. It goes on in verse 18. This passage, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. saying, Peter, there's a time where you did what you wanted to. You remember that time? A time where you did what you wanted to do, where you did what you felt like doing, but there's coming a time when you won't do what you, you want to do. You'll do what other people are leading you to. Someone else is going to decide what you're going to wear one day. He says in there that you would stretch out your hands, a picture of the cross. And history tells us that Peter was crucified on a cross upside down. But more than that, let me bring this home to you personally. Before Jesus, you were able to do whatever you wanted to do. But when you follow Jesus, you, can, you surrender all that you have to Christ. This is what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life, that you no longer live for yourself, but you give your life for others as you follow Jesus, all of your talents to Jesus, all your resources to Jesus, all your finances to Jesus, all of your time to Jesus. This is what it means to submit to Jesus as Lord. Let me give you three real quick points of application. First, this is what it means to be Christian, is to follow Jesus as Lord. Again, you don't do as you feel. You don't follow Jesus when you feel like it. And if we can be honest, as we mentioned last week, we're in real danger when we allow our feelings to direct our lives. Feelings are all over the place. Oh, this is a call to do as the Lord instructs us to do. This is his direction. And this is discipleship. This is walking in the way of Jesus. Second, one of the ways that you really show your love for Jesus is to care for the people of God. Feed my sheep, he says. Peter, if you love me, go feed my sheep. If you love me, go tend to my lambs. 
What does it look like to really care for God's people? This is the way of discipleship, invitation and challenge. Just what he did here for Peter. Inviting them into your life no matter what they've done, they've done with no condemnation. You have a seat at my table, but also speaking real truth to them in a loving way that leads to repentance. Caring for the people of God is one of the ways you show your love for Jesus. And then here's the third thing. Peter says, but what about John? Jesus is predicting the way that Peter would die. And Peter looks over there and sees John. John, the one that Jesus loved. Maybe his best friend. 21, it says, verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said, if it's my will that he remains until I come again, what is it to you? Again, he just shares these words, follow me. The third point is that comparison sabotages God's plan for your life. God has a unique plan for your life. All the history and the hurts, all the things that have burdened you, all the scars, God has a plan for your life. Jesus' response here is, hey, don't worry about him. Let God worry about him. You just follow me. You focus on the step of obedience in front of you. Comparison can be such a terrible thing, such a tool used of the enemy. Many of you have been following Jesus for several years, but you've never really given him your whole life. Jesus is like a Sunday thing. He's like, a, I want to be close enough to him to go to heaven kind of thing. He's, I'm going to call him when I get in trouble kind of thing. But that's not real Christianity. The invitation from Jesus is, yes, this invitation to come and do life and see what he's like and experience the joy and peace that comes on the other side of trusting him for salvation. He is as your Savior. But it's also about real Submission to him as Lord of your life. Maybe you've never invited others into your life for real discipleship. We started this, this sermon with that, with that very question. What do you do once you've done something that you swore you'd never do? And how do you respond when you're confronted? That's what discipleship is, is us not in a perfect way. And not that I've got my life together or anyone's got their life completely together but you're allowing other people to speak truth to you in a loving way to make you aware of your blind spots. And then when they speak truth, that you don't excuse all the reasons that they have no right to speak truth to you. No, you listen with a humble heart. That's discipleship. Following Jesus at a distance, or having a meal with him over a charcoal fire are really two different things. It's astonishing to me when you read the gospel, just this idea of grace and renewal and mercy. There's just nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. My invitation to you today is to trust the gospel. Some of you for the first time to really give your life to Jesus in full surrender. Say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. Others of you have been following Jesus for a long time, but like Peter, you've you messed up somewhere, or somebody hurt you, or something in the church 
really stung. And they had no, re no, they had no right to do that. And yet you've just given up on the whole thing. And you said, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the house. I'm going to take my ball and go home. This is the invitation of Jesus to you to sit around this charcoal fire. Can you hear him? Hey, I think we need to have a chat. No condemnation, full forgiveness, but still this challenge, we need to deal with this sin, to really repent of it, and then let's move forward. It's incredible, the plan that God has for you. He really does. I'm gonna pray for us, and maybe you'd pray there silently. I know there's a little link right below you that I encourage you to click on that, and. Maybe you would just let us know if you made some kind of decision today to follow Christ or maybe you've got, you want us to pray for you. Maybe there's some shame and guilt in your past that you can't seem to let go of. We'd love to pray for you. Let me pray for us together. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and renewal, for restoration, for not leaving us to our own things, but calling us deeper illuminating the blind spots. Lord, I just can't get over that you lead us to repentance through your kindness, not your condemnation. I pray those that are participating with us today, they would hear your Holy Spirit speak to them, even right now. Lord, this would be a day of salvation for them. This would be a day of release for them. This would be a day of forgiveness for them and renewal and restoration. Lord, and they would find their way back on the path of following you in the everyday. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.